So I forgot to introduce myself earlier, if I don't know you, if you're new around here, my name is Noel, and I am one of the pastors, and over the course of our lifetimes, all of us are going to face periods of conflict. And maybe some of that conflict is inner conflict. You know, you, you're uh, wrestling with a big decision that you need to make and it's kind of got you on edge. Or maybe you are dealing with the consequences of a big decision that you already made and you maybe made the wrong one. And so what's happening is in your mind and your gut, you have all kinds of inner turmoil going on. And, and maybe you've gotten really good at putting on a good face, especially at church, especially on Christmas. Uh, but inside you're, you're in pain, right? And so we have that inner conflict. There's also interpersonal conflict, which is conflict between people or between groups of people. And that's usually more public. You can't hide that as much because everybody sees that. It's, it's very uh, public. And my guess is that the majority of us here at some point, or at least right now, we can actually think about one or both of those categories in our own life, something we're struggling with. Some kind of inner conflict, some kind of interpersonal conflict that we're going through. Well, the thing about Christmas is we celebrate that Jesus has come to earth to be your Prince of Peace in that area of conflict. There's two primary words in the Bible that are translated peace. The first, uh, you're probably more familiar with than the other. The first is Hebrew, um, and it's the word shalom. You've probably heard that word. And a lot of times, maybe your Jewish friends, you've heard them say to one another, greet one another with the word shalom, right? They say hi that way. They say bye that way. And when they say shalom, what they're doing is they're referring to this Old Testament idea uh, of welfare and prosperity and wholeness and an absence of conflict. And so when you say to someone shalom, and they say shalom, back to you. You're saying to them, I want you to have good welfare and prosperity and, and wholeness. I want there to be an absence of conflict between us. And then you go to the New Testament of the Bible, which is the part of the Bible that was written in and around and after uh, the time of Christmas. And that transitions to the Greek language. And in Greek, the word peace is irene. And it has this idea of taking something that has been blown apart into pieces and to put that thing back together. So don't you think about that for a second in light of Christmas. The prophet Isaiah, 700 years before the time of Christ, said that one day a Messiah would come and he would be the prince of all of that. He would be the prince of Shalom. He would be the prince of Irene. He would be the prince that would come and bring welfare and prosperity and wholeness and the absence of hostility. And that had been, that had been blown apart would be put back together in him. So hold that in your mind as we look at the Christmas story again, starting in Luke chapter two, uh, verse eight, where it says, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the field, keeping watch at night over their flock. And then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now think about this for a second. The angel says this good news is not just good news, but good news of great joy. And that great joy is not just for some people, it is for all people. It's not just for the people that are like us. It's not just for the people that we like. It is for all people. So how does that happen? 
Well, the Apostle Paul explains it to us in the book of Ephesians, where he writes these words. He says, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, our Irene, who made both group, groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressing regulations so that he might create in himself one man from the two resulting in peace. And he did this so he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. And again, what is irony? It's the idea of bringing shattered things together. So those who were shattered were far away, and those who were shattered were near, he brings near together. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So this is what Jesus did. Jesus took two groups who had historic enmity. That's what he's talking about here. The Jews and the Gentiles, and the Gentiles are those who are, are not Jewish, and he brought them near. And how did he do that? It says through his blood. Now, blood is not typically a big Christmas theme. I mean, maybe it is in your house. Uh, but like, it's not a big Christmas theme. But this baby Jesus we celebrate today, he grew up to be a man. He grew up to be a perfect man who laid down his life. And when he did, his blood became like the bonding agent that glued together people who had been far apart from him by reconciling both to God. That's why this passage says he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Now, I'm going to stop for a second. You may not be a church person and you're sitting here thinking, oh my, just got into this whole big theological doctrinal mess. But this is not just church talk. This is not just theology. This is not just heady doctrine stuff. This right here has boots on the ground implication for every single one of us. In our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our nation, Jesus can be the architect of peace. And I love how this passage pulls on the strings of shalom from the Old Testament and Irene here in the New Testament and gives us almost like a fresh working definition of what peace is that we talk about during the Christmas season. That peace is simply to make one. And if that is true in Jesus for Jews and Gentiles who had generations of conflict, how much more is that true for us in the areas of conflict that we're carrying? Interpersonal, interpersonal. Think about interpersonal conflict in this world today. We have in our world today nations against nations, don't we? We have in our world today a nation that is divided against one another. I mean, in our, our culture right now is discouraged and angry and divided almost in ways that I have never seen in my life. Friends have become enemies. Generations haven't been able to figure out how to talk to one another anymore. I mean, we live in the same community, but it's almost like we speak different languages. Like we're living in a series of, of different snow globes, right? All sitting next to each other on the mantle, but you can't jump from one globe to another. So how does Jesus bring those who are divided together? Well, think about this. 
at the core of much of our division is what used to be called, I haven't heard this phrase in a long time, so maybe people still use it. It used to be called being holier than thou. Have you heard that phrase? The whole idea of being holier thou is this, it's this self-righteous presumption that we alone have everything figured out, and if only everyone thought exactly like us, the world would be a great place. That's what it means to be holier than thou. So case in point, the Jews and Gentiles, right? Let's use them as an example. The Jews had the, the law that was handed down by Moses. Moses goes up, speaks to God face to face and brings down 613 laws and says, this is how I want you to live, right? He brings it to them. They had the law. So they looked down on anyone who didn't have the law. And then the Gentiles, especially like the Greeks and Romans, they served all kinds of gods. They were like, listen, it doesn't matter who you worship. All paths lead to God. Worship the God that you want to worship. And they looked down on the Jews for being monotheistic and saying there was only one way to God. Does this sound familiar at all? And we're not only in the same boat when it comes to religion and faith issues. We got this in all kinds of issues, don't we? Think about the number of issues in our culture where there are people who say, no, there is one thing that is true about this thing, right? And they look down on anyone who doesn't agree with them on that. And then the other people are like, well, no, no, no. There's all kinds of nuance to this. And they look down on these people because they think they're right instead of them, right? Isn't that our world today? Jesus' solution is really heady and theological. It says he is to make no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulation. (laughs) What the heck does that mean? Well, here's one facet of what Jesus did. He took away the thing that made people self-righteous by fulfilling it. Jesus fulfilled that perfect, that law that was given to the Jews perfectly. He put a period on the end of the sentence of the law. And there's an old preacher named Ray Stedman I used to love to listen to. And he used to say, when you remove the law, you remove the hostility. Because you put everybody on the same playing field. You declare that every single one of us needs forgiveness, that none of us is better than any of the rest of us, that we're all searching for answers. And yes, Christians do believe there is one answer (laughs) and that Jesus is that answer. And we believe that the good news of great joy that will be for all people is that Jesus saves. Now, here's what happens. Each one of us has our own inner conflict. And we bring it to Jesus, and he gives us peace. And as Jesus gives us peace on our inner conflict, it changes our relationships with other people, so the interpersonal conflicts begin to experience peace. And I believe that's one of the ways that Jesus brings peace on earth, because he is the peace of that. He works inside of us. He turns us inside out. And he changes our relationships with one another. You know, I was studying this passage, and I've been a pastor for more than 20 years. I'd never noticed this before. But it was kind of weird that Isaiah, the prophet, refers to Jesus as prince instead of king. Isn't that weird? He calls him prince of peace. And I was kind of wrestling with that and debating, why does he call him the prince of peace? And I think it's because of Christmas. It's because Jesus was going to be born. And he was going to be born as the heir to the throne. And and that it wasn't until he lived that sinless life that he died and he rose again and ascended to the right hand of God the Father that he claimed that throne that was his. And now he is king. And that brings us to the second part of what the angels declared in Luke 2. 
verse 13 and 14, it says, um, oh, that's Ephesians 2. That would be a bad read. Um, it said, suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heavens and peace on earth to people he favors. Check this out. There's a sense in which Jesus is good news of great joy for all people. And there's a sense in which he brings peace on earth to people he favors. Is the angel saying that Jesus plays favorites? <laughs> Thank you. What Jesus is saying, or the angel saying, is that those who sync up with the will of God are part of bringing that peace on earth, the shalom, the irene. And we are all invited to be part of that. And the way it happens is we acknowledge, hi, I'm part of the problem. <laughs> we bring our self-righteousness to the table, don't we? We bring our self-righteousness to arguments, don't we? We bring our self-righteousness to the internet, don't we? That attitude, the Bible has a word for it. It's called sin. And this is what Jesus did with sin. It's in the book of Isaiah, again, that same prophet. He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, punishment for our peace, our shalom, was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. Jesus was pierced and crushed and punished and wounded for our peace. The baby that was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago had a destiny as a prince of peace. And I don't know, again, what conflict you brought in today. The inner conflict, the interpersonal conflict. Make today the day that you acknowledge Jesus, the prince of peace, as your king. And he will begin to do the inside out work with you and begin using you as part of bringing peace on earth. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, who is our, our Prince of Peace. Um, and, and we acknowledge that we don't have it all together. In fact, we quite often have it mess, more messed up than we would care to admit. And so we just confess that. We confess our own self-righteousness, and we just pray that you would use us as you transform us from the inside out to be agents of peace on behalf of the Prince of Peace, our King in this culture. We just pray that even today, as we celebrate Christmas, that would be the first step for many of us toward uh, living at peace with you and peace with others because of Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen.